Well, thank you. This morning, uh, I've been thinking about uh, Paul, uh, the apostle, and one of the things that uh, Paul, the apostle, strikes me uh, with is his incredible sort of magnetic attraction to other people. We often think of Paul as like this massive theological brain, and that's what he was really all about, is he just thought deep theological things. But when you read the scriptures, what you find is that Paul was an incredibly relational person. Paul dug deep into his relationships. He loved people. He, he, could, he longed to be with them. And I read that sometimes, and I wish we could bottle that up and, 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 and give it away in our church community. Because if we could do that, we would have this sort of magnetic attraction towards one another for each other's good. Our year theme is poured into. And we have been talking about what does it mean to pour into each other's lives. This is a critical facet of what it means to be a Christian. It's just part of who we are. And so we've been looking at that and learning and growing. And and in this particular series, we're talking about what it means to be an encourager. But if we could bottle up that kind of magnetic attraction that Paul has to the people around him, the love and the longing and the desire to be with them for their good, man, if we could do that, we would really put a whole new spark in our community. And I hope that that's what we're going to be doing. So would you, uh, there's a recipe for this actually in in, in a bunch of places, but today we're going to look in the book of Romans. So would you open up to the book of Romans with me? If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll pass one to you. And we're going to look at this recipe. How do you develop this sort of, this, 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 this draw towards other people? Romans 1, verses 8 through 15. If you need a Bible, please don't be shy. Raise your hand. We want you to be able to look at the words in Scripture, because what I have to say is only valuable as it, it comes from these words from God in, in Scripture. Um, Romans 8, excuse me, 1, 8 through 15. Now, um, for those of you who are newer, um, we actually preached through the entire book of Romans in 2007, 2008, <laughs> 2009 we went into. It took a long time. We took some breaks but um, I believe that's available, but uh, I, feel, I feel fine just sort of jumping in because we have preached through this whole book um, already, and uh, I look forward to doing it again someday, maybe in many years. But uh, there's a lot in the beginning here just about, about who Paul is and where does this kind of draw towards others come from. So, so be thinking about that as I read this. Romans 1 verse 8. Paul's writing, obviously, to the Christians Rome. He wants to come visit them. This is the greeting part of the letter where he's describing his relationship to them, their relationship to him, sort of setting the tone for the rest of the letter. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow... By God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel 
to you also who are in Rome. In this little passage, we've got a kind of a recipe for what it means to be drawn, learning how to be drawn to others for their good. And this fits right into what we're talking about, pouring into one another, being encouragers of one another. He talks in here about mutual encouragement. And so this morning we're going to explore what is it that draws us towards others? What is it? Uh, And we've got three things in this text that, that really leap out to me. The first one is simply this. We're drawn towards others because we have something to give them. We have an offering to share with them. We're drawn towards others because we have something to give. Because of who God is and because of who God has made us to be and because what he's given to us, we have something to give to other people. And that's exciting. The potential of that is exciting. And so it draws us towards others. Now, we see sort of some of the basic things about Paul in this. His posture is very typical. He's praying for them and he has this great affection for them. He's longing to see them. And he affirms them in their faith. These are the things that we find throughout Paul's writings. His posture towards other people is a posture of prayer and affection and affirmation. And in that prayer and affection and affirmation, it's sort of like a garden of healthy relationships. Healthy relationships grow out of that garden of prayer, especially prayer. I think we have to highlight prayer. It's sort of funny. He says, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Why is he saying it so strongly? It has to be the same thing that happens with us. Like we say to somebody, uh, oh, I'll pray for you, right? And then we forget and we don't pray for them. Uh, the same thing must have been happening in the early church. And Paul's saying, no, I'm, not li- I'm actually praying for you. God is my witness. When I say I'm going to pray for you, I am praying for you. Um, ask God. I'm praying. He's praying, and out of that garden of prayer comes this great love and affection and affirmation. He affirms their faith. He longs to see them. Can you imagine if you prayed for somebody over weeks and months? Can you imagine over time how your longing and your desire to be with them would grow? You would want to see, you would want to see how is God answering my prayers in their lives? And, and, and so this is really the, and, and for the, Some of us have some people we don't want to be around at all, right? Well, prayer is is so key in this. What is Jesus says, pray for your enemies. This is part of what it means to be drawn to other people. It begins when we take the posture of prayer and we start to pray for them and allow God to work on our hearts. And maybe it was in that, that time of prayer that Paul realized. These people are filled with faith. They're living in the capital of the world. Man, it's got to be hard to live there because, you know, everything is against the the faith, against Christ, and they're being a strong witness there. And and, and so he affirms them in their, their faith and their witness in this capital of the whole world, really, then, at that time. Um, and so, so you hear that maybe, and you're like, yeah, I'm that person who, who doesn't pray when I say I'm going to pray. I'm that person who's not regularly praying. I should do more. I should pray more. So that would be me beating you up with, you know, the Bible, right? You're not praying enough. Um, so, so pray more. And I've done that to myself a lot, okay? Here's maybe a pathway. And, and some of that's okay. We do have to call each other to account, right? It's okay. There's another pathway that's also valuable. And that is to say to God, 
Lord, what's broken in me that I'm not the person of prayer that I should be? Would you do a work in my heart to make me like Paul, to make me like who you intended me to be, to be a person who loves and prays for the people around them? What, why am I, what's broken in me that I'm not doing that? And then allow God to take you on a bit of a journey of spiritual growth so that you can become more and more a person. I am so much on that journey. And I see my prayer life is richer than it was, but not as rich as I would like it to be. There are things God is doing in my heart to make me more and more a person of prayer. And, and that's the journey that we're on. And he wants, to, he wants you to be on that journey as well. That's the garden out of which our, our, our love for others comes. Now, Paul says that he has this offering. What is this offering that he has? It's a spiritual gift. What is that? Now, it can't be the spiritual gifts like we talk about in 1 Corinthians 12 because those come directly from the Spirit to people. It must be some sort of blessing. And if you've been around Christian community, you know that this happens. When Christians get together and sometimes you're just having this good conversation and you say something to somebody that really encourages them, or they say something to you that really encourages you, or they draw you to a scripture passage or tell you about a sermon they heard or a a thought that they had or something that happened in their life, and in the midst of that community and that conversation, you find you're blessed. Paul, I don't think, knows what exactly he's going to bring these people in Rome, but he just knows that when God's people get together and the Holy Spirit is there, blessing's going to happen. If we're letting God lead, if we're letting him lead us, blessing will happen. And so he has this sense of anticipation, this expectancy, uh, you know, that, that support will come or encouragement or wisdom or just even a listening ear or healing. Uh, the, op- the, the potential is and the opportunities are endless for there to be blessing. And, and then he catches himself. He says, he says um, that I would give you this spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged. And this is a dynamic of community that's very important. That there's, there is maturity. There are people who are more mature in the Lord and less mature in the Lord. That's part of the way community is. But that doesn't mean that the blessings flow in one direction. The blessings don't just flow from the mature person to the less mature person. They flow back and forth. And, and that's why it's so beautiful to be in relationship, to be pouring into others and as you're pouring into them, you receive so much back. I can think of all the times I've been in counseling situations or pre-marriage counseling, you know, and I'm, we're talking about something like, oh, man, I got to go home and apologize to my wife because, you know, I'm not living this out the way, the way I should be. I mean, we get encouraged and strengthened as we're strengthening. If, you, if you've taught something, you know you learn probably more than anybody else in the classroom on the subject that you're teaching. And this is the way that it works in, in our spiritual lives as well. It's very important. And I think that, you know, sometimes we've messed up when we've gone on short-term mission trips, especially where we have felt like, okay, we're going to come and bring it all. These people are 100% in need, and we're 100% the haves, and so we're going to go. I much prefer to think about, especially when we're talking about short-term missions trips, we're, this, is a, this is a time of mutual encouragement. Like the The apostles say over and over in the book of Acts, let's go around back to all the towns and encourage the brothers and sisters. And when we go on short-term missions trips, we get to go and encourage the brothers and sisters. And they encourage us. And it's this mutual thing. And this is what it should be. And we need to keep that in mind. 
But the point is this, is that every interaction that we have between believers is pregnant. Pregnant with opportunity. That's what I want to say. And so be looking for the opportunity for spiritual gift to come, to be released. It's like Christmas. Every day when you get together, you're exchanging gifts. Really. That's what, that's what Paul is saying. That's how it is when we are in community together. So uh, every opportunity is pregnant. Look for the, uh, the potential for offering God's grace to one another. So the first thing is we're drawn to people because we have an offering to give to them. We're also drawn to them because we have a tremendous opportunity. We have an opportunity. Verse 13. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you. That's that, that I might come and bear, I might bear some fruit. I might harvest, bring in some fruit, ministry fruit. You know, people coming to faith, people coming to understand who Jesus is as I share the gospel with them. That's what he's talking about there in, in reaping some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. And so Paul is going to come in and he's going to glance off the Christians who are, bounce off the Christians that are there and into their relationships. Because they've got relationships with people who are seeking, who are hungry, who are far from God, and Paul's going to move in. He's going to bounce off their relationships into those relationships, and he's going to have an opportunity to share the gospel. And just maybe God will use him in their lives. That's what his hope is. This is a great opportunity for him. And so he's drawn people because they represent this opportunity for the furtherance of the gospel. This is the right way to look at it. We should all be thinking like Paul when we think about our relationships with others. That who knows who they know and how can through their connections we reach into the lives of more and more people who have need. And I just want to own and acknowledge that I think for many of us living in the Bay Area, you know, there's a real temptation to get tired in this work of evangelizing, of sharing the gospel, of bringing this glorious good news that we've been given. There's a, there's a temptation to become tired in sharing it with others because it's so hard sometimes. And it feels like there's so little movement. I was talking with some pastors this week and one was mentioning that in the county of Alameda, there's 1.3 million people and 50,000 what we would say are evangelical Protestant Christians. Now that doesn't mean those are the only Christians, but but just that gives you an idea of the small number, you know, that that is. That's like three point something percent. The national average is somewhere on the order. Last I looked, my, my statistics are a little bit old. Somewhere on the average, somewhere on the, on the level of like 28 percent or something. So we are, and, and, and it's been recently studied, we are living in the least churched area in the country. The Bay Area is the least churched the least Christian, if you want to say, area in the country. And so it's easy for us to get tired in the work of sharing the gospel. And sometimes it feels like there's little movement. But I want to encourage us. We, two weeks ago, we had somebody come to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior on a Sunday morning in church. And so we celebrate that, right? It's possible. that, And, and, and 
we have this alpha course that's going, and, and it's going, and, and there's opportunity. And, and so I just took this as a reminder today that we really need to be careful that we flag, that we, that we get tired in doing good because, because God is at work, and He is still at work. He is working, and there are people who are around us who are really hungry for something new. They're really hungry for a touch from God, for a, a reconnection or a connection with God, for grace, the crazy good news of grace to wash over their sins. They're living in guilt and shame and, and struggle and directionless, and, and we have this good news. And so let's not tire. We have an opportunity. Let's not tire. And also shows the importance of team ministry. Um, Paul's going to come and they're going to work together. And they're going to do ministry in that place. And we know that this is so true. I've seen this over and over again. That different personality types connect with different kinds of people. And I, and, and I love it when I bring my believing friends and my unbelieving, my, my not yet believing friends together. And, you know, I'll see two people relating. And I'm like, I never would have thought that they would have connected together. And yet they're, they're connecting on some other level I didn't anticipate. And, and there's a relationship forming there. And just maybe that's the person who's going to be able to share the good news of God's grace and His love and His mercy with this other person when maybe I wasn't the person to do it. And this is why it's so important that we come together and in our home groups that we come together and we take a, a, a group, a, a community approach to sharing the gospel. And... We have a lot of opportunities to do that. We, you know, we can share about the people that we're praying for during the prayer time in our home group and then pray for those people together. We can do these things that we call Matthew parties. Matthew was, you know, the, the, that refers to the, the, the one who wrote the book of Matthew. Okay? And when he came to faith, he immediately threw a big party and invited all his friends to come and be with Jesus. And so you had this mixture of Jesus in this environment of all of Matthew's friends. And, of course, he was able to share with them. And this is, this is, a, this is what we have the opportunity to, to do as well. So when we go out to a restaurant and we, we, we have time, you know, with both our friends that come from work and church mixing together and a chance for them to kind of share their lives, we're creating opportunities for the gospel to run along. And so I want to encourage us to be thinking in that way, to tell stories. Let's not flag. This is the main point here. Let's not flag or get tired in reaching out. Because there are people around us who are seeking, who are lost, who are hurting, who are hungry, and who are in need. And so let's not be tired. Let's continue to seize on the opportunity that we have. People are looking for the words of life. We're all looking for words of life. And Jesus has those words. He is that word. The third way that we're drawn to others is, is by understanding that we have an obligation. We have an obligation. Verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And Rome is a place where all the peoples came together from all around the world. And they were combined in this city. And 
sort of mashed together and all different kinds of people. And, and Paul was called to preach to the non-Jew. And there in Rome, he knew he would find all different kinds of people to share with. But he was obligated to do this. And we find in, in Paul other descriptions um, that match this sense of obligation. So in 1 Corinthians 9.16, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul had a sense of obligation to bring the gospel to people who are in need. Now you remember Paul, if you, if you know the story of Paul, his name was Saul. He was one of the most zealous Pharisees. Um, he was one of the ones who was attacking the Christians. He was going after them, cornering them, and having them killed. And then God got a hold of him. And part of Paul's calling, his call to faith in Jesus Christ, was also a call to go and reach the Gentiles. Those who, the people who are not, that just refers to everybody who's not Jewish. His, his calling, it was all wrapped together. That God said, Jesus said to Paul, I'm going to make you an instrument in the same moment that he, he becomes a believer, he's made an instrument to go out and share his faith with the Gentiles. And that's not unique to Paul. Well, what did Jesus say? He said in John 20, 21, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore, we are ambassadors, that is, people who have come to faith in, in the Lord, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So, we like to make this separation. Well, I have been saved, I've come to faith in Christ, I'm a Christian, And then someday when I become really mature and know everything about the Bible and people, I will start to share my faith with others. And guess what? That day never comes. The day never comes. And now we're 80 years old and we've just got a few short bit of time left and we haven't shared this incredible gift that we've been given with people who are hungering and hurting and lost around us. And the solution is to understand that no, actually, the day that you came to faith in the Lord is the day you were sent by the Lord to share the gospel. The day you came to faith in the Lord was the day you were sent by the Lord to share your faith with others. We are obligated then. I would say regarding this word obligation, we are probably the least obligated people in the history of the world. Right? I mean, we don't experience obligation almost anyway. We're not obligated to our families, really. We're not obligated to our workplaces. How many times do we shift careers? We're not obligated to the geographical location in which we live. People move constantly all over the place. We're not obligated to our hometown. We're really not obligated to people, generally speaking, friendships. We're certainly not obligated to RSVP when somebody invites us to a party, right? We're just, we're not obligated people. We live and we think that that's freedom. 
but it's actually an impoverished relational network. So that if nobody in your life can ever place any kind of obligation on you, you are not just living the free life. You are living in an impoverishment of relationship. Because true relationship, genuine relationship, deep, thick relationships come with obligations. If I don't have any friends who can say, Andrew, I need you to do this, and I do it simply because I'm obligated, because of the thickness of our relationship, then I'm living an impoverished life. So the freedom that we hope for and we long for by shedding all obligation is a mirage. It's a kind of a thin freedom, but it's not deep. And when we talk about, you know, being the kind of people who pour into other people, whether, whether they're Christians or not, we just take the posture of pouring into other people. When we talk about doing that, you know, we could talk about, you know, blessed are the feet of those who proclaim the good news and talk about the heroism of saving people and sharing the gospel with others. And, and for some of us, that would be very motivating. Some of us don't care. We don't want to be heroes. We don't feel the need to be a hero. And maybe for those of us who are in that category, we just need to sink into the sense of obligation that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. Because here's an obligation that comes from the Lord. This is an obligation that comes from the Lord. As Paul says it, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And we are obligated because of our relationship with a living God who, by the way, was willing to offer himself an atoning sacrifice on our behalf. See, here's the poured into sort of scenario that God takes on flesh so that he can pour into people. That's who Jesus is. God teaching and spending time with people, pouring into them. And then when he was called upon to offer his very life for the salvation of those people, Jesus was willing to do it. That was the final act of his pouring into, or at least the the culmination of his earthly pouring into, was to offer himself as an atoning sacrifice on the cross for the sake of the people that he loved. That's who Jesus is. That's who God is. And, and, And that's the kind of relationship God is desiring with us, the the, the, the thickness of that relationship, that there is the possibility for obligation. And part of what God is saying to us is, look, here's the obligation I am putting on you. I have come to you. I have poured out myself for you. I love you more than you've begun to understand. I died on the cross an atoning sacrifice for your sin so that you might be in right relationship with me. And here, now I am putting this obligation on you. I want you to go and tell others about me and my great love. I want you to go and tell others about me and my great love for them. So they might know, they might have an opportunity to be freed from sin, to face down an eternity of heaven rather than hell. That's my obligation. It's for you to go and share that. There was a quote that I read, and I had it pinned up during seminary on my wall, and I could still picture the three-by-five card. I cannot remember who, and I could never find uh, 
the uh, corroboration of this quote. But, so this may be totally apocryphal, but I think this is a true statement, whatever it is. Um, Lord, I think this was Whitfield, but I'm not sure. Lord, help me obey you without even bothering to ask why. This is what it means to live in a sense of obligation. Uh, yeah, it's, it's worth thinking about why does God have us do this or that. And, but we can get lost in doing things only when we agree with God. What if we just, in sort of this all-out selflessness, said, God, I'm going to do what you ask just because you ask. I don't even know why, but I'm going to trust you. That's what it means to live in obligation. And that's a deep thing. There's a kind of a, a relationship that can happen there that can't happen otherwise. Recently, I dusted off my guitar and was playing, and we were messing around. My daughter and I were messing around uh, playing some jazz, and she was singing, and it sounded a little okay. Uh, and, and so she sounded great. But, um, so then we decided she's in a choir. And so she auditioned to um, sing a solo in this choir. And long story short, next thing, I'm sitting in Napa in silos, which is a jazz club, with my guitar and my daughter. And it's a packed house, and we're about to perform. And, and my son, I'm thinking, I'm looking out, and, and, and my son, Elijah, is playing the bass. And then one of the other girls in the choir her dad is the drummer for Joe Satriani. And so he goes, oh, I'll play with you too, which was exciting and terrifying at the same time. And so I'm sitting there, and then, of course, we, there's some sound issue happens, and so we're just sitting on stage waiting and waiting and waiting. And I, and I haven't performed in years and years and years, like decade-ish, and so I'm starting to feel the nerves rise up, right? Oh, man, and I'm thinking way too much about what's about to happen. And then I look up at my daughter who's standing right there and suddenly it just hits me. This is not about you. You're just a servant for that girl. And you are obligated to her to do what she needs to be able to sing this song. And to just, and as soon as I thought that, it was like, oh yeah. You know, I'm cool. I'm going to do this because of my relationship with this girl. And I love her and I want to serve her and I want her to succeed. I'm obligated as her father to play the guitar well in this moment. <laughs> right? And, and, and there's a sense in which our relationship with God is like that. He's saying, look, I need you to play the guitar right now. You need to go out and share this good news with the people around you. You need to... And I love what he does here. He talks about, I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. It's not about preaching the gospel to believer or non-believer. We just preach the gospel to everybody all the time. That's what it means to pour into each other. And so he's saying, here's what I'm obliging you to. Because of our deep relationship, I've given everything for you. You love me, I love you. Let's, here's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm obliging you to, to share this good news with the people who know me and the people who don't know me. Watch the spiritual gifts explode in your relationships. Share it with people who've never heard it before. And you're sitting there and you're nervous. You're nervous. 
because it's scary. And God's saying, don't think about that. Think about me. I'm just asking you to do this. And you're doing it for me. So God, would you help us? Help us as modern Americans who hate obligations to have the courage to settle into this obligation. To be a people willing to share your goodness inside and outside the church. That we might mutually give gifts to one another spiritually. That we might give spiritual gifts. That we might reap a harvest without, outside the church. And inside. Lord, for those of us this morning who are exploring the things of the faith and, and this good news of Jesus, this desire to be in continual relationship with us is something new. We want to give opportunity and window this morning for anybody who hasn't placed their faith in Jesus Christ yet to begin that life-giving, that dynamic relationship with God through Jesus Christ by placing their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if this morning that's you and you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ, you know, there's nothing to wait for. Just do it. He's listening. God is listening. You tell him, I'm a sinner. I have lived outside of the bounds of your intent for me. I've done things that have hurt people. I need your atoning sacrifice on the cross to be applied to my life that I might be forgiven. And Lord, for all of us, would you help us to live into the obligation we have to be servants of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.